Yes. I've been sweating these questions since they arrived. <laughs> oh, yeah. Scribbling answers, crossing them out, scribbling answers, crossing them out. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support, high performance, all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss-free, continuous delivery. Check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues Podcast. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have James Edward Gray. Hello. Avdi Grimm. Hello from Pennsylvania. Saran Yitbarak. Hey, from New York. I'm Charles Maxwood, and I just want to say eval, open paren, self, close paren. It's nice. dangerous. <laughs> yeah. So today we're talking about um, evaluating yourself. And I think it's interesting because initially when we brought the topic up, I was thinking, you know, sort of how do I tell if I'm at the right place? But the more I thought about it, the more I got more along the lines of we had Saran ask us a bunch or, you know, give us a bunch of discussion points and questions. And I really kind of wound up where she wound up with her questions asking about, you know, growing and changing and you know getting better and so you know is there a good place so to speak or is evaluating yourself really about figuring out if you've got good momentum in the right direction so saran maybe you can tell us why why this topic was interesting to you yeah it's it's interesting to me because um you know my my background before programming or actually in college was pre-med and so in pre-med you know if you don't have you know, at least a 3.5 GPA, you can pretty much forget about medical school. And so I spent a lot of time evaluating myself and thinking about, well, how do I know I'm doing well in this class before I get the final grade? And how do I make sure I'm improving consistently? And how am I growing? And when I started to learn to code, I thought a lot about those same things. You know, am I learning quickly enough? Am I doing well? Am I, you know, beating everyone else? You know, whatever those metrics were. And I found that it was a lot harder to even find the place you're supposed to be to then see if you are there or how close you are. And it's funny because when I talk to a lot of people starting to code, I get a lot of the same questions around, well, how do I know I'm doing a good job? I have no sense of where I am or where I need to be. So I thought it'd be a really great question and discussion point since, you know, all of you are, are seasoned and more experienced of, well, how do you measure yourself and how do you know if you're going you know, in the right direction, and what is that direction? I should have just let you start it off. That was really good. <laughs> Those are great questions. I don't think I know how to answer any of them, so this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, but you're seasoned. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which means I know enough to know that I don't know how to answer those questions. <laughs> that's so well, true. I think that makes a lot of people feel better, so that's good. <laughs> Well, it's hard, right? Because, I mean, I'll admit, you know, there have been p uh, points in my career where 
I've just gotten comfortable, you know, I knew enough to be able to do my job and I, I was still figuring things out when I needed to, but looking back, you know, those weren't my happiest times and I, you know, I was comfortable, but I wasn't necessarily in a great spot. That's interesting. It makes me wonder after a certain point, is it okay to be comfortable? Like, is, is the goal to always be growing? Do you kind of switch off from the two? That's a good question. I have my answer. It's going to make some people uncomfortable, but I think life is, you know, people talk about life balance and stuff. And so sometimes, you know, you're going to sacrifice in areas like career because you have other things going on in other areas like family. And so if you are holding steady and you've got other stuff going on, I mean, you're, you know, I think you're doing fine. However, at the same time, you know, technology moves so fast, even rails, you know, talking about rails now from when I got started programming in Rails, you know, seven or eight years ago. It's a different thing. And we're programming against a different internet. And even the tools that we're expected to use and understand have completely changed. I mean, back when I got started, NoSQL wasn't really a thing. Um, A lot of the JavaScript front-end frameworks weren't a thing. There were web APIs, but not everything had an API. And most of the interesting sites may or may not have had one. And now it seems like that's a thing. And so... If you're sitting still for too long, I think you're going to wind up being left behind. I think that's a really interesting point. It makes me think of uh, when I used to play tournament chess, and probably the main reason I don't play a lot of tournament chess these days is everyone who plays tournament chess it spends a really significant portion of time at home in their free time reading books about chess and going through games of the masters and practicing things and stuff. So you have to almost do a certain amount of work to stay exactly where you were, like come the next tournament, you know, you have to keep up with that curves basically. And uh, like Chuck's talking about, you know, computers, oh, they change all the time, you know, it's someone like me who's been in Ruby for so long and is so comfortable in Ruby But, you know, I I can see the writing on the wall. We're going through a huge period of new language growth, you know, where lots of new languages are coming up. And while I don't think that means Ruby is dead or going away or anything like that, it does mean probably that I should be looking at some of these and figuring out why all these new languages exist and what problems they're trying to solve and stuff like that. So, you know, there's that effort to keep up with that curve again. It's kind of the minimal amount you have to do to actually stay in the same place you were in. Yep, it's a really good point. And it feels so overwhelming when you've not been involved for so long because then you have this huge log of things that have happened that you need to be up on in order to be able to be competitive in the the latest tournament or market or whatever. It's interesting because one of the reasons why people recommend programming is because you're never going to get bored, precisely for the reasons that you guys stated. And I thought that was really, really exciting at first. But I'm wondering, does that ever get exhausting? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You do always have to be learning new things and growing and perfecting. And I do this because I love that. I mean, I, you know, given free time and a stack of books or whatever, I'll read the nonfiction every time and try to, you know, cram more things into my brain and stuff like that. So I I really enjoy that cycle. But even me, I have periods I go through where I'm like, I don't want to learn new stuff right now, you know, and I think that's fine, too. You go through periods where you're less interested in it. And in those times, you spend a little more time just staying where you are and kind of refining what you know and and stuff. And I think everybody experiences that a little bit. If you don't consider curling up with a good book to mean something like a textbook, you probably are not going to enjoy this as much, I think. Well, there are more ways to learn than just that, right? Yeah, that's totally true. Yes. And so, I mean, for me... Like curling up with a coding book, you know, I kind of have to be in the mood for that. But moving ahead in other ways where it's, okay, I'm going to go do this online tutorial or I'm going to go watch these videos or listen to these talks or different things like that. You know, there are better ways to do it. But I think the more interesting question, the question we're asking is, is how do you know if you're doing enough? Or if you're doing the right things. Right. Maybe that's a good question. That's a really good question that I think is hard to nail down. For example, I think a lot of people focus on like 
languages, you know, how well do I know Ruby or whatever language or how many languages do I know or things like that. I've written about this fairly recently on my blog, but I think that's actually kind of one of the least interesting aspects of programming. And if I were going to measure things that are important to learn and get better at as a programmer, I would include things like how to solve problems or how to think like a computer, which kind of means how to think algorithmically, you know, do this step, then this step, then this step, then we'll be there kind of stuff or social skills. I would say a massive part of leveling up as a programmer is uh, learning how to interact well with others, you know, being able to have good conversations understand what other people are going through, you know, just basic things like how to apologize. I mean, our job is hugely about people from pair programming to building apps that people use to interacting with stakeholders, etc. All that's about people. And it's a massive part of what we do. So I think things like social skills end up being really important to level up to. Yeah, I like those skills that you mentioned a lot, because those are the things that don't change with time. Um, those are things that, you know, don't depend on what language or what framework is popular at the time because they're just a part of, you know, you and just developing as a, almost as a person more than anything else. And the last point that you made about it all being about people, I think that's so easy to forget. You know, I think there was a time where I worked on a project and, you know, it was just me and the code. I was, you know, pairing with one other person, but that was pretty much it. And after a while, I kind of forgot that we had users at the end of it, you know, and finally when we, released it and, you know, got user feedback, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, people are using this, like actual people. And, you know, they're at the core of everything that we do. And so I think that the social skills get downplayed a lot when people talk about being a good developer. I'm going to have to always be nice to people, huh? (laughs) You you always have to play well with others. It's so sad. (laughs) I like what you said about how those skills don't change. And you can see this with experienced programmers. They tend to know more languages, right? Pick up more languages and stuff like that because that's not really the hard part. The hard part is learning how to uh, solve problems and think algorithmically, right? If you can do that, sure, different languages take that in different approaches, especially if you're moving from something like a a pretty OO language to a pretty functional language or something like that. You know, there's going to be some twists, but learning how to think like a computer, you know, that's the really hard part and it it doesn't really change, right? So if we kind of focus on that skill for a second, learning to think like a computer, what does that look like? If you were to evaluate someone who does a really good job of that, what does that mean? Put a chip in the back of their head, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do, yeah. Direct connection to the matrix. It's a good question. Like, I've been trying to figure this out. You know, it's like in mathematics, sort of, and I hate to compare computers to math because I I always think that goes awry, but let's say you have a word problem in math. A massive part of that is being able to read the word problem and realize what question is actually being asked, right? And then once you have a question... Then you need to be able to go, okay, I have all these mathematical concepts, so perhaps I could construct an equation like this because that's the way the problem is modeled. And then I could apply these set of transforms that I know, and the end result is that I'll end up at an answer, a correct answer to this problem, right? And it's that series of steps that being able to form the problem being able to apply each successive step that moves you closer to a right answer and then recognizing when you have a right answer that's kind of thinking algorithmically i think and some people look at the problem and they're just like and and i'm talking about myself here a large portion of the time like uh okay now what <laughs> you know and that's the unsuccessful side of it so the successful side is being able to identify and work through those steps, or even a lot of times in computers, it's knowing that there are steps for that process and having a good idea of where you could go hunting for them, right? Because you can't keep all of computers in your head, right? There's just too much. Speak for yourself. 
<laughs> okay, well, I can't, right? And so you can't keep all of that in your head. So most of it is just knowing, yeah, I know there's a data structure that deals primarily with this problem, or I think I've seen an algorithm before that people use to attack this kind of thing. Getting that info, tuning it a bit to what you're actually doing and implementing it. I think that process and how well you are at being able to recognize when it's needed and then do what's needed, that measures success. That's a great answer. I really like that. And I feel like how long it takes you probably gets factored in as well, right? So if you do that process but it takes many hours versus uh, five minutes, then I think that's kind of a sign of growth too. I think that's true. I think mainly, well, I, I think a lot of reasons for that basically boil down to people want people with skills and they want people that can deliver. And, and I also think that that's a good measure of practice or a good measure of your uh, competency at that is how quickly I can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that if you do those kinds of problems over and over again, like that's a, an easy way of getting better at it? Yes and no. And the reason I say yes and no, I, I think it is in the sense that, you know, if you're doing a lot of problems like that, you know, you learn how to solve problems and you learn different strategies for doing it. The reason I say yes and no is because that if you do the same exercise over and over again or the same type of exercise that, you know, kind of tests the same skill with the same algorithm, then you're not going to grow as much as if you were finding ways of testing yourself that involve new problems and new new things so that you have to actually really learn something in order to solve the problem. I think one of the things I would say about measuring, like you mentioned earlier, you know, that you had to have a certain GPA. And I really liked that because it's a concrete number that we can all understand. How am I doing? Well, this number clears that up. This is how I'm doing, right? Which may or may not actually be accurate in a lot of ways, but, but it, it exists. And in programming, we don't have that. I mean, you know, what would you substitute? Lines of code written a day or, you know, that all of those are, I think, silly and hopefully pretty obvious ways. So one of the things I would stress about measuring is like, don't do it. <laughs> like in some ways, avoid trying to quantify these things that are really hard to quantify as much as you can, you know, like don't try to bring it down to a single number that expresses right now I'm a 3.1 programmer or something like that. You know, I, I would say that I try to avoid that some, does that make sense? It does, but then it makes me wonder because regardless of how I evaluate myself, people are always going to evaluate me. Right. And people are always going to say, oh, well, you know, she's a great coder. He's a great coder. And if I don't understand how they're making that conclusion, then I wouldn't necessarily know how to improve myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You're talking about uh, how others perceive you as one thing. And then also, you know, how can you tell if you're making progress on some scale as another thing, right? Exactly. Like regardless of where the evaluation is coming from, I think the evaluation happens. So if I can at least understand maybe how other people look at my code, then I can do better in their eyes, which means that I'll get a job or a gig or, you know, kind of become a, a better programmer and, and hopefully have a better career. So how do you think about it from that perspective? When I worked at an office, I always made those kinds of judgments of other people based on how recently they had brought me cookies. <laughs> I vote we all adopt Avdi's system immediately. That's awesome. That's C is great. for cookie. That's good <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, it's 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 so subjective, isn't it? I mean, you know, I've seen people evaluate other people very differently depending on you know what was imp important to them. I mean, one person might might evaluate other programmers mainly on certain aspects of their code. You know, another one might evaluate them primarily on people skills, you know, and I've seen people have very different impressions of programmers based on, you know, their subjective ways of, of judging. One other thing I want to point out here is that along the same lines of what Saran is pointing out, you know, I like to improve and I like to be able to say I improved X amount. The other thing is, is that if you've ever had to fire somebody, it's a whole lot easier if you have some concrete metric that you can say, we only have tens around here and you're a two. 
Mm, good point. It's an interesting idea. So I want to touch on a couple of these things, and I would like to kind of separate them from each other, this idea of how others view us and and how we can know if we're making progress on some scale, because I think they're two very different things and, and probably best kept as separate as possible. How others view me just, like, scares me like you can't imagine. Like, people come up to me and say things to me about programming they've seen me do or whatever. And that's just because I'm a very public programmer. I'm on the Ruby Rogues podcast that a lot of people listen to, or I do crazy stunts like record YouTube videos or whatever. And so people see that and they come up and they have all these ideas in their head about things I am and am not capable of. And I'm pretty sure most of them are all wrong. <laughs> so I don't know, as far as that being a metric, I think it's a pretty terrible metric, you know, along the lines of one number to, to rule them all. And I don't know. So even if we evaluate two separate programmers, maybe an expert and a novice on one particular thing, which thing we pick matters a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Like, an expert, you know, who's been writing web apps forever, you know, may know that really, really well or something. And then you take the novice and you say, you know, you ask them some networking question, some low level networking question. And, uh, you know, there can be scenarios where the novice gets it right. Like even when I was a novice, I used to write MUDs for fun, the, the games that people log into and chat and, and attack monsters and stuff. So I had a pretty good grasp of low-level networking even back then, opening sockets and stuff like that, maybe to the point where I could answer those questions and somebody who spends all day talking HTTP may not have as good a grasp on you know, so it really depends which axis you attack on, like Avdi said, right? One axis I try to look at for myself is just basically whether I'm shipping. Because shipping, you know, whether you look at it from a whole product standpoint or just like shipping a feature, shipping a bug fix. And you can you can even take shipping beyond just software features. But it's one of those things that encompasses a lot more than just specific technical knowledge, more than just technical skill. You know, it also encompasses, are you working, you know, with the people that you need to work with in order to ship? Are you looking up, you know, finding the knowledge that you don't know in order to ship? Are you finding alternatives to writing software that turn out to be cheaper than writing the software in order to ship? So, I mean, that's one way I, I look at it. That's a great one. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I like that one too. And these days I try to keep track of what I'm doing on like a weekly basis and produce some meaningful something each week because I've found that I can get into a project and just get lost in the project and then work on it and not realize six months has gone by and I haven't put anything out there. And like Abdi says, you know, it's 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 a measure of are you doing stuff, kind of. And I think it's a really good concrete measure. And I think it's also the measure that a lot of a lot of managers or you know people higher up in organizations are using out there. And I think by and large, that's kind of how I want to be judged too, rather than based on more specific metrics and stuff like that. It can also be, I mean, you know, let's be fair, it can also be tough when there are barriers to, you know, when there are barriers in an organization that are keeping you from shipping and you just can't do anything about it, but you're being judged on that. So it's not perfect. I don't know if there is a perfect system, but at the same time, I think there are areas that we can definitely evaluate ourselves in. I agree with James that having one number or one metric isn't enough because it's misleading or can be misleading. But I think at the same time, if we're evaluating ourselves, we can give ourselves some leeway and, uh, you know, just determine what areas are important and evaluate those. And that's one thing that I really like about your answer, am I shipping, is that it's something that I can measure. Did I ship? Yes or no. Did I ship awesome or did I ship something? Okay. You know, and I can I can evaluate those things and I can give a, a concrete answer to it and know, okay, I did what I valued. Are there other areas? Are there other things that we should be evaluating? Well, I think the one thing to remember about the shipping thing, like I, I like it and I think it's great and stuff, but I think 
it's important to remember that a lot of times it's just what got loaded into my head that's actually the important part. So like, it's totally reasonable to spend a week working on some idea, I think, in many cases, to realize at the end of the week, that's a terrible idea, and this is why. And we can never ship this, and this isn't going anywhere. But now we've learned this lesson, and we won't have to mess with that again, or whatever. I think that is also a valid form of, quote, progress, right? Yeah, and kind of, I think based on that, um, one thing that I, I've been trying to do, but I haven't really been very consistent on, is making a Today I Learned list. So for me, my growth is all about just did I learn something new and useful? And I find that documenting it means that I don't have to relearn it later because I forget way more than, than I'd like to. And so for me, if I can, you know, write down three things that I learned that day, you know, regarding programming and, and technical stuff, then I'm winning. Like that's just, it's really that simple. And I think I blogged it recently where I just wrote, you know, here are three to five things that I learned. Here are the resources that, you know, I use to learn them. And as long as I'm moving forward in some kind of concrete, tangible way, that's my own kind of personal measure of growth. I like that one because it speaks to mastery, one of the three pillars of intrinsic motivation that that we all want to feel ourselves getting better at stuff. And to me, it's a lot like you said that I want to be learning new things all the time, basically diversifying my mind because my opinion is that the more of these ideas I have around in there, when I run into problems, I'm like, oh, that's just like whatever with some twist. You know, I have more things to connect to and that gives me more confidence in what I'm doing and gives me starting points to jump off from and helps me go forward. So a lot of times like I'm learning things that I'm not even sure how they're related yet into the things that are the most important to me. But I generally don't find when I'm learning a lot of new stuff that it, it, I don't find a use for it someday. You know? So what kinds of things, James, I'm kind of curious, uh, do you try and learn? So when you're trying to make that forward progress, is it just anything that's interesting? Are there certain areas that you... Yeah, I, I mean, I get stuck on things, I guess. I like, uh, I will just cast out randomly and latch on to something, but then I'll, I'll get stuck on things for a while. So right now, for me, it is intrinsic motivation is kind of what I'm stuck on. I was like, ah, I want to read a book about something new and... I was a new parent and things like that. And so I was interested in what motivates people to do things. And I read a book and that led me to another book and then that led me to another book. And like a year and a half later, <laughs> I'm still, you know, kind of fascinated with intrinsic motivation. I've read a lot about it and played with it in a lot of different ways. So I get stuck on that. And I feel like that is done like a lot for uh, helping my interactions with people and things like that, because I think I do a better job of understanding what other people are trying to get out of our interactions and stuff. So I, I've been hung up on that. Uh, also, I've been, uh, so today, just before the call, I was playing with Rust and fiddling around with that and hanging out in the Rust IRC channel and asking some questions and getting feedback. So that was what I was learning on the technical side this morning. And so, yeah, I, you know, have things and go through cycles and get fixated on uh, certain things. And I, I think all kinds of stuff from social skills to technical oddities. One of the things I, I would like to learn, probably we'll play with this weekend, I wrote a program at work the other day where I had a busy loop in it where I had to like sleep for, you know, a tenth of a second, then wake up and check and see if something's done. And I thought, oh, that's a terrible model. I'm sure there's a way to do it without that busy loop. And I tried a couple of ideas I had real quick and failed. And so I was like, oh, whatever, this works fine for now and let's just ship it. But now I want to go back and figure out how you write that without the busy loop so the computer's not wasting time. So I'll probably play with that in the next day or two. Short answer, it's totally random. <laughs> are there any metrics that are meaningful to you? I mean, sort of concrete metrics that, you know, maybe you wouldn't want to be evaluated solely on that, but that you find interesting in gauging your progress. I mean, I'm kind of racking my brain. Like, as 
I'm on this call. I'm also practicing on a uh, a typing tutor, and it has you know very nice hard numbers. It has you know I'm looking at you know 44 words per minute and 93 percent accuracy. And yes, I type really slow because I'm finally turning learning to touch type. But uh, I don't, I'm trying to think. You know, are there stats? that are interesting to look at when it comes to learning programmer-related skills. I racked my brain over that after Saran sent us her questions, and I came up with one that I do kind of respect. And to me, that was where I am on the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition. And I think one of the reasons that I respect that so much is there's a lot out there about... So here's the things you probably know at this stage. Here's the things you probably don't know yet and or aren't thinking about yet. Or uh, really good details like the advanced beginner stage is kind of a dangerous part where you can get stuck. And then you, you know, tend to way over evaluate yourself based on how you're stuck in that stage. And so I think just knowing where I am in the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition and trying to stay aware of what I should be experiencing in that level maybe helps me avoid some pitfalls or avoid getting stuck or whatever. To me, that was a kind of a metric that I do value. And from what I know, that's that's not a number, right? Like you don't get a score. You kind of look at the qualities that you fulfill and then you're in that section, correct? Right, there's five uh, right. categories, categories, and and yeah, they, it's you know a, each category is kind of a these are the kinds of things you know are experiencing right now probably uh, yeah so it's not a it's not a hard fast number it's more like I, I'm probably somewhere around here now. Well, I'll tell you one metric that I've been using that has totally failed, and that metric is timing myself. It's been the worst, most frustrating thing ever. Um, I'll look at, you know, a feature or user story or whatever it is that I'm building, and I'll say, this should take me one hour because I've done this before, or, you know, this is similar to this thing I just finished, so this is what it should take me. And it never, ever, ever takes that long because there's all these things that, you know, I either hadn't considered um, or hadn't thought through yet, or it actually wasn't as similar to this other thing as I thought it was or for whatever reason. And so what it taught me was that, you know, timing things for me probably isn't very fair and isn't a good metric. But it did teach me that if I'm able to time something well, it's not so much a reflection of my skill at that thing. It's more a reflection of me understanding the problem that I'm solving well enough to estimate a time that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. And (laughs) that one, I think it's Programming Pearls, uh, the book that goes into that a bit. And it talks about kind of what you're experiencing right now. And I used to have a real problem with that. Like my guesses were probably worse than randomly picking a number. Like I was that far off. And it it gets better over time, I think. I, I mean, I'm still not a perfect guesser by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I'm way better at estimating what I can accomplish in a given period of time now. And I, I think that's one of those things that you level up on as you go. And in Programming Pearls, they actually encourage, even though you may be bad at it, um, they say that's fine and you should still keep doing it. Because it's a, it's something you have to train yourself. Like, uh, estimating is a skill in and of itself. And it accounts for a lot of different factors, right? Like about, you know, building in some time for things to go wrong, building in some discovery time, building in time for each of the unknowns that you're currently aware of, whatever. And that that is a muscle you can develop as well. And so they, they think there's some value to that. But I definitely, in the past, felt like you at times where it was like, I obviously have no clue how people estimate this stuff. And, yeah. um, but I think I'm getting better at it as I get farther along the scale. One thing that I want to point out with the Dreyfus model and, and some of these other uh, ways, of, in fact, pretty much every way of self-evaluating is that you have to be able to accurately evaluate yourself. And that's not always easy. I mean, there are some areas of my life where I found that it's harder for me to be subjective than others. And, you know, I want to be good at programming and I want to be good at specific things. And so it's it's tricky for me to say that I'm 
not as good as I want to be, or, you know, maybe in some ways it's harder for me to say that I am as good as I am. And so, you know, are there ways to get around those things where you may have some some doubts about your skills or you may be overestimating how good you are? I think it really helps when you get to work with other people. So for me, I find myself underestimating myself more than overestimating myself. And I find that it's a lot easier for me to give myself credit for my own growth and learning when I get the opportunity to explain the thing to someone else. And when I get to pair and they say, well, how do you do that? And then I'll just start talking and I say, oh, I actually kind of do know what I'm talking about. And I think that using social coding is a great way to gauge yourself and either find holes of things you don't understand or maybe acknowledge that you know more than you think you do. I was just going to agree with that. I'm prone to thinking that I just don't know anything at all, especially when I haven't worked with anyone for a while. And and I, I have found that just pairing with someone else is a great way to feel a little bit better about, oh, I guess I actually do know things after all. Yeah, Steve Klobnik has one of my favorite stories about that. He talks about how he was pairing with someone one time and they, you know, were doing something and then they ran into some bug and they had to figure it out and, you know, hunt it down and and stuff. And then they were done and, and the person Steve was pairing with said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I bet that was really boring for you or whatever, you know, that like we had to hunt down this bug and stuff and, and like this is beneath you kind of thing. And Steve said, uh, what do you think I do all day? <laughs> you know, like, this is, <laughs> this is programming. This is what I do, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, I thought that was really great. Like, you know, that people think, you know, because we're experienced or something, we don't hunt down bugs or whatever. It's, it's not true. We do exactly that, you know? And yeah, I think that's tough. So, it's appropriately humbling to pair with other people, you know, or sometimes even just, you know, when you are pairing with someone and they see you do something and, you know, like, and they're like, wow, why'd you do it like that? And you're like, uh, cause that's the way I've done it for 10 years and it works or something. And they're like, yeah, here's the one liner that means the same thing or whatever. Right. And then, you know, you know that you've, you've leveled up there and you've learned something new and that's cool. David pointed out, you know, when we were prepping for the show, the flip side is is that you get those funky things that are going to help you out later on, too. And so it's not just the times when you've always done something kind of the weird wrong way, but you pair with somebody who's always done something the funky right way. Yeah, I think that getting to ask the question why and being asked why you do something is just awesome, exactly for that reason, because you have to defend your code or your design or your strategy and you're forced to kind of think through and realize whether or not you actually thought it through or whether it was just, yeah, this is just how I've always done it or this is how one person showed it to me that one time. That's all I got. It's a great, great opportunity for learning. This is a famous problem, by the way, that illusory superiority. Usually the example given is if uh, in the U.S., if you ask drivers whether or not they're above average, 93% say yes. Right, which can't be true because 50%, yeah. Um, so it's a famous problem that we have a tendency to over-evaluate our abilities. Uh, or maybe in some weird of us, you know, weird population of us under-evaluate because I, I feel I fall more on that side. But yeah, it's a, it's a famous thing. You have to have some kind of biases, which is get around your biases, which is why Saran is searching, you know, for how can we measure and not, you know, have a rough idea at least of where we are. And it's a great question because you should want to have some kind of external measure. I don't know if we've given a good answer, though, on how to measure, if there is a good answer. Well, I think what this conversation has shed light on for me is maybe it's not so much about finding a metric or a number. I kind of wish there there was a number because that would just make everything a lot easier. But maybe it's just about feedback. You know, I think it's hard to learn and move forward if you don't have feedback and you don't have some sense of, you know, how you're doing. And maybe that can only be qualitative. Maybe it's just, you know, how did you feel when you were pairing? Did you feel really dumb or really smart? How many, how much codes do you ship that week? And was it a lot or was it a little? And maybe it's just more about qualitative feedback and not so much numbers. What do you guys think? I love the idea of feedback. I think that permeates almost all of programming. Like the very first thing I do when I start any project is set up a feedback loop. Like even if it's just, 
our spec in it, right? That's what you do to set up a feedback loop. I'm going to start writing these tests and they're going to be red and I'm going to switch them to green and ta-da, feedback loop, right? So I can tell what I'm doing. So I can tell if I'm pushing things in the right direction. You really like that fad diet, don't you? (laughs) Right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you have to have, I think you're exactly right, that you have to have some kind of feedback so that you can tell, you know, am I pushing in the right direction? Am I pushing in the wrong direction? Now, there are times when that feedback is particularly hard to set up or get, I think, because of lots of various reasons, just of complications, but uh, that's it's important. I'd pile onto that, but I just agree. You had a good question, Saran, and when uh, you sent us before the show, one of them was, how did you used to measure success? And that, that question I spent a lot of time thinking on because I found that I think I used to include many laughable things. Like, I want to call them stupid programmer tricks. I knew, you know, like I can <laughs> easily in one line build a binary tree or something like that using inject. Therefore, I score certain points or whatever. And nowadays, I would consider that knowledge, you know, next to useless or something. And <laughs> so I think I've, I've definitely come a long way in getting past those ideas of measurement. Yeah, a lot of my metrics were based upon what other people thought, which is both good and bad. And the other, the other metric, and I still use this to some degree, is am I more capable of solving the common problems that I see than I was before? But that's not really a, a number that I can, you know, come up with because I don't really track it. I think I have a similar metric to that. I um, When I find myself running into a lot of things, especially at work, where I have absolutely no idea how to attack it, then that kind of goes on this list of things I should probably look into at some point. And then I try to push down that list a little bit when I have some time so that Next time I run into problems like that, I have at least an idea about how to go about solving it. I like that a lot. I like the idea of keeping a list of things that, you know, you you see over and over again and you should probably focus on and, and learn. And it's funny because I guess I keep a mental list of that. And there are a couple of things that I just thought would be really hard because I didn't know them. And then I realized that they actually weren't hard at all and it was fine. <laughs> and learning them kind of got over this huge barrier that had bothered me for a really long time. That's a great point too, right? Because when you've never looked at anything, then you have no way to assess how hard it is. And so when you when you do, you know, run into it or, or whatever for the first time, you're like, this is impossible. I'm totally clueless. And then, you know, some things are really hard. Some things are way less hard. And, you know, it may be that once you've spent 10 minutes reading a little bit, you're like, Oh, yeah, this this isn't bad at all. <laughs> I feel like one of the most important things that I strive for in development is just perspective. I mean, it seems like that's one of the, the things that helps me prob- solve problems more than anything else is having a bigger perspective, bigger perspective on what tools are out there, you know, a bigger perspective on, you know, this problem, how does this problem fit into the universe of problems, what problems is it related to, that kind of thing. And unfortunately, here again, you know, I know that I want this, but I cannot for the life of me think of any of a way of measuring perspective. I can look back and see that I have more perspective now than I did before, but it's very hard to quantify that. I think you're right that it's hard to quantify. I actually relate that in the social skills category. To me, like that's one of the things you really get out of raising your social skills. Looking into anything like, you know, feminism, racism, or just how to talk to people or how to persuade people or rhetoric or things like that. In my opinion, all of those things severely level up your perspective. I would agree with that, but I think there's, there really isn't a perspective scale, you know? Yeah, I agree. Which is tough because, you know, the, the most worrisome thing about gaining perspective is you, you look back and you realize how much, how little perspective you had before and you think, wow, that means I must have really poor perspective now compared to how I'll feel, you know, five years from now. And you wish you could actually see it, you know, on a scale somewhere. At least I do. Ditto that. But all you have is, is you know, your subjective perspective. Yeah, the one thing I have found is that if I've worked for a long time with somebody, 
a lot of times they can give me some advice on where to go and they, they offer, uh, they may have perspective that I don't. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's sort of, maybe it's less important that we know where we are on a scale and maybe it's more important that we have a sense of motion or not motion. That is a great thing. I like what you said there. That's what I was trying to say with the don't measure it rant earlier. Like, is that I'm not really concerned with being able to nail myself to a specific number. Uh, but I like, I really like what you added there. I'm more just concerned with if I feel like that I'm pushing myself in the right direction. I relate this a little bit to like physical exercise. I mean, physical exercise is one of these things that it's really easy to quantify. And it's really easy to go absolutely just nuts with quantification of this stuff. I mean, the first time I tried to get into running, I remember I got one of those heart monitors and everything, you know, and, and they have like the heart zones that you want to try to stay in, stuff like that. And, you know, as I've gone on with it, I've realized that I'm not sure that stuff really matters that much. Like, you know, the thing, the, because honestly, it's, it's, if anything, it's making me less in tune with my body. You know, it's not, it's, I'm resorting to these numbers instead of focusing on how do I feel, you know, and like, <laughs> you want to know whether you're in, in, in a good heart zone. I mean, look at, at whether you're, you know, easily conducting a conversation or gasping for breath or lying on the ground puking, you know, <laughs> those will tell you, you know, your body will tell you where you're at. And if you want to know, you know, if you're making progress, you can, if you pay attention, you will realize that you're making progress with exercise. It's pretty easy to tell um, that you're, you know, s stronger one day than, than the day before. Maybe it's almost good that we don't have too many. It's not as easy to quantify this stuff because I think in exercise as in anywhere else, maybe it's more important to be aware of motion or lack of motion, you know, movement forward or stagnation. And that's that's subjective, but having a sense of it is important. I love that. The physical example is great. The one that popped into my head when you said that is parents do this all the time. This is uh, one that just cracks me up, and I'm totally guilty of it. We'll say to our kids something like, eat three more bites. Like, where did that number come from? You know, like, <laughs> if you don't, what? You're going to waste away and die? Or, you know, like, it's just this totally arbitrary number that we pulled out of thin air that has no meaning. Like, the kid, you know, if they get hungry, they'll probably eat a little more. And if they're not hungry, they'll probably quit, you know, or whatever. But, yeah, exactly. It's hard to quantify so how do you guys feel about your motion and your growth right now? Felt pretty good until we did this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ron. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel really bad and, and about my forward motion. And it's weird because maybe I would be in a worse position if I felt good because like, it's the feeling bad about my forward motion that makes me do more. It's a weird kind of situation where if I feel good about it, it probably means I should start feeling worse so that I'll start moving forward more. I don't know. Maybe I'm just neurotic. No, if you're neurotic, I'm neurotic too. I'm the exact same way. It's like if I'm, if I'm happy with myself and I say, okay, great, I'm doing well, let's go watch 30 Rock. But if I, you know, if I feel bad and that's my motivation to, to do better. I'm going to do us all a favor. We all suck. <laughs> <laughs> I go through periods where I feel good and bad about it. I mean, like last week I was playing around with rust in my free time and I felt utterly defeated. Like just, you know, everything I tried, I couldn't get it to work and I didn't understand the errors. And I tried asking some really badly formed questions in IRC and so that got me nowhere because it was a terrible question and things like that. And so I just felt like I made no progress last week. So then this week I sat down and I'm like, okay, got to reduce it to small things I understand, work forward, ask good questions from that. And like I had a discussion in IRC today in Rust that I think got me over one of the biggest humps I've run into so far, you know, so it's like, that was the setback that let me go forward this week, you know. So I, I have periods where I, you know, feel bad about it and periods where I feel good about it. Um, and it waxes and wanes. And I, I hope that's true for everybody. Otherwise, that, that's really going to upset me. But so I think, you know, you want to look at the long game, not the short game. And long term speaking, I feel like 
this year has been a great year of progress for me. That's good to hear, James. I, I tend to go back and forth too. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm doing great and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I'm okay with not feeling like I'm making a lot of forward progress. I mean, there have been a few times this year that I just haven't, I haven't had time. You know, I've had things going on with family. I've had things going on with clients and I just didn't feel like I had very much time to put into, you know, making that forward progress. And the projects I was working on weren't exactly challenging. So there's that. And then, you know, the flip side is, is that sometimes I get really excited and, and this is how I usually move forward is actually in fits and bursts. So I'll get really excited about a project and so I'll go build something out. So for example, I've been playing with Swift lately and so I'm, I'm getting ready to start building an app in Swift. Another one that, that got me really excited was that I started looking at React, the database. And I know we did an episode on it a while back, but I, you know, I just, I, I kind of looked at it then, but I've been really digging into it and I've been getting excited about it. And so I'm actually considering now building out like a Twitter clone on Reoc and finding out, you know, what the limitations are and things like that. And so I kind of level up because I'll spend a couple of weeks playing with the project, you know, and then I'll kind of slide back into not doing a whole lot for a little while. And then I'll go and run ahead with this stuff. You know, I'm not necessarily happy with the slower periods, but I feel like I make up for it sometimes with the active periods. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I feel like I work in bursts too. And mostly my bursts are around what things I'm paying attention to. So when I think about myself as a programmer, I think about the product that I'm building, like the the end product, whether or not it's actually out there. I think about the quality of my code. And then I think about the process, uh, which I pay a lot of attention to. And so I feel like, Right now, I'm very, or most recently, I've been very focused on my process for building, and I think that's improved. Um, that's kind of my burst of energy, and I haven't been paying too much attention, or as much anyway, as you know, optimizing the product and the code. And now I think I'm going to like shift gears and focus more on the product, and then it kind of goes in cycles of things that I focus on. I like how you divide up and measure in different categories. I, I don't think I do enough of that. Yeah, you know, I, I noticed in the most recent project I worked on, you know, we had to, you know, it was just two of us and we did everything. And I realized that when we did retros and we talked about things that we liked, it kind of always fell into those categories. Like it always fell into the code that we're actually writing, how we're writing it, and then whether, you know, how happy users are with it. And so I feel like now when I'm working on side projects or personal things, thinking about it in those three categories helps me focus on specific skills as a programmer. I think that's awesome. I like what Chuck said a lot about how, you know, sometimes you just have like family time. Like this month for me, my daughter had a big birthday and we had company in from out of town twice uh, because of that. And then uh, she started school just a few days ago. So we've been doing, you know, lots of extra things at school because of that and, and just stuff like that. And I knew going into this month, like, you know, I'm not going to have very much time for programming stuff. And whenever I get done, I get done. And the truth is I haven't done very much programming this month. I've done a lot of reading, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm busy and can't get to the computer, I think, ah, oh, well, in that case, I'll read more on the Kindle, you know, and, and try to push forward in other areas and stuff. And I think accepting that and going into that knowing, you know, or just being aware that you're doing other things right now and that those things are probably good too. I mean, time you spend with your family and, and developing that, that adds to your happiness and I hope and, uh, you know, makes it better for when you get a chance to come back and attack it again. So that's time well spent too. Yep. So we kind of talked a little bit. I don't know if it's just in my head or in general, if we've been talking about evaluating yourself on more or less the tech skills or, you know, different technologies, learning stuff like that. But is there a good way to evaluate yourself on the non-technical stuff? You know, the stuff that James pointed out that we should probably be learning, like our ability to think like a machine or our ability to communicate with other people. How many fights do you get in on the internet? <laughs> nice one. As many as I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It is a good question. It's hard to know, you know. And social skills are one of those things where I feel like, Yes, I learned something new, and now I have so much farther to go now that I'm aware of all these other things, you know, that's it makes it tough, but I don't know. I think in general that gets reflected, hopefully, 
in your interactions with people. I mean, I feel like I communicate better these days, and I think people give me some signs that that's true. Does anyone keep a journal? I do off and on. No, but I, I want to. I keep one for my daughter. I just write down a little something about her each day. Uh, but that that's it. I wonder if that would be helpful to getting a sense of a larger sense of progress on some of this stuff. It's a good question. I, I think it's good for that as well as related to that, pointing out the things that happened yesterday or the day before or whatever that you want to make better because it, it forces you to reflect. And so then you can say, yeah, yesterday this happened and, you know, so I'm going to work on this so that it doesn't happen like that again. Good point. I like that. A lot of times being on this show teaches me things that I want to get better at. I feel like this show, especially with our random set of guests and our excellent panelists, uh, that you all expose me to ideas all the time. Like Saran just gave me the idea of dividing up the different ways I'm measuring projects and stuff, you know, and then I tend to go forward and be like, how can I put that to use and, and what can I learn from that? And, uh, I think it's important to get yourself some sources of that. You know, it's kind of a, it's a feedback loop. Like Saran said, I hear the things you all are doing and I think, oh, how can I incorporate the parts that I like and helps me grow and get better, I think. Am I the only one who looks around at all the stuff other people are doing and just feels utterly insignificant because of it? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's just you. <laughs> when I said, mm-hmm, it was just my... Initial reaction to say, yeah, I feel that way all the time, not <laughs> anyway. Huh. Have you ever looked at like Zen Spiders Ruby projects? Whenever I go look at the list of the things Ryan Davis has contributed to, it's like, dear Lord, what have I done with my life? You know, like he's getting it done over there. <laughs> yes, I definitely feel that. Any other areas or things that we should uh, talk about before we get to the picks? I'm so good. I feel like we, we covered pretty much everything I, I was thinking of and, and then some, so I'm good. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks then. Saran, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I have a few. Uh, the first one is this beautiful animation that I'm absolutely in love with. It's called Thought of You. It's by Ryan Woodward, I believe is his name. Yep, Ryan Woodward. Um, he's an animator who specializes in drawing explosions, which I didn't think was a thing that you could specialize in. But he's uh, an animator for DreamWorks, Marvel, Pixar, Disney, a bunch of other places. And he did this really beautiful side project. It's a short 2D animated film called Thought of You. And it's just really simple and really, really beautiful. So that's my first one. Um, my second one is this blog post um, that I came across, I think the other day, written by Tess Reinerson. I'm hoping I'm saying her name correctly. She's an engineer at Medium, and it's called A Hacking Hiatus. Um, she's very big in the hackathon space, has done a lot of work to promote them, make them really inclusive and friendly and, and, and all this stuff. And she's taking a break, and she had a really thoughtful blog post on her reasons and her experiences that I think everyone would benefit from if they read. And my last pick is called Smacks, which I, I recently came across so if you follow me on Twitter, you know that CSS and I have a very terrible relationship. Every time that I think we're going to get along, I feel very betrayed by it. And so I was complaining and doing my, my ranting, as I usually do, and someone suggested this resource that um, I'm hoping to be able to dig into more in the coming weeks. But it sounds amazing. Uh, and the idea is that it's a style guide. So it's not a framework. It's not a plugin. It's not a library that you download. It's more of a way to think about CSS and to think about your design process so that you're not as frustrated and angry as I usually am. Uh, so those are my three picks. Awesome. Avdi, what are your picks? For a technical pick, this may have been picked before. I haven't checked the, the backlog, but there's a, uh, a presentation that I finally got around to watching the other night. It's uh, Brett Victor's Inventing on Principle video. I know a lot of people have talked about it already. Uh, but I just, I, it had been on my queue all this time. But I will say it, it was worth the hype. Um, really, really thought provoking video, uh, thought provoking on a couple of levels. Uh, on the, on sort of the surface level, he has some really interesting demonstrations of possible new ways of interacting with code. But then sort of on a meta level, he also has some, some thought provoking things to say about thinking about why we invent, why we write code and possibly having a an overarching principle behind 
uh, the stuff that we build. Uh, so yeah, P- Brett Victor inventing on principle. It's a good talk. And got a lot of other stuff, but I'm going to leave it aside for now. I'll just pick one non Cody thing. Uh, I was looking around for uh, something better to keep the sweat out of my eyes when I was running. Usually I just wear like a cotton bandana to keep keep the sweat out of my eyes and also to keep my hair under control while I'm running. And I asked around for to various other runners and I got a bunch of suggestions. But the one that I, I ordered a few products, but the one that really worked out for me was is something called the Buff Headwear, which is basically just a, uh, a tube of very stretchy, very um, wicking fabric. And you can get it in all kinds of styles and you can wear it in like a dozen different ways. And it works really, really well. I actually ordered one and then immediately lost it in the Atlantic Ocean and proceeded to order two more because I really liked it. So that's it for me. You go running in the Atlantic Ocean? Uh, no, no. I, I was <laughs> foolish enough to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that's uh, hard mode. No, I was hard foolish mode. enough I to, like it. <laughs> to wear it while I was playing around with the kids in the ocean when we went to the beach. And uh, it turns out it doesn't, it's, it's not such a good idea for controlling my hair when dealing with large waves. <laughs> but for running, it's good. Awesome. James, what are your picks? Dang, everybody else's picks are so good. Saran's really right about that hackathon uh, break article. That's one of those good ones that'll level you up socially. And the inventing on principle talk that Avdi mentioned is just pure gold. So I just want to plus one both of those. For my own picks, I've mentioned that I'm kind of obsessed with intrinsic motivation. So I guess I'll go ahead and do a few picks related to that. If I had to sum it up in two books, it would be Punished by Rewards and Drive. If you're not aware of why rewards and stuff like that are problematic, uh, you probably want to start with Punished by Rewards. I wasn't, and I needed this book to make me understand how things like that work and what's going on. And there's like 50 plus years of research uh, basically condensed into this book, this one book. Uh, So it's a great place to get that. If you're already aware of that kind of stuff, you can probably safely skip that step and go straight to drive. And drive is, is more about how does intrinsic motivation work and how can we use that to our advantage? Really good books. And then just for a fun pick, I picked up a Sphero recently. Uh, and I've been playing with my daughter with it. Uh, Sphero is a little round robot, and it just looks like a ball. Uh, and you drive it with your iPhone, iPad, Android, whatever, uh, via Bluetooth. Uh, and you can drive it around. It just rolls around. It's really fast and zippy. It jumps up ramps, and you can change the color of it. And you can even get this little rubber shell you put on it. That gives it more attraction outside or lets you drive it in the swimming pool and keep going because it, you know, spinning around and around and pushing it forward in the swimming pool. So lots of fun stuff. We've just had some fun playing around with it. Uh, Lately, it's kind of a cool way to get your kids to see, you know, what a simple little robot is like, you know, very simple, but fun. Those are my picks. Cool. I was at a conference last weekend, and I'm, I don't I don't know if I have any great picks. Um, I did listen to a book while I was out there, you know, in in a little bit of the spare time I was out there, and it was just kind of in of interest to me because um, the girl that wrote it is from Salt Lake City. It's uh, it's my story by Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped when she was fourteen. And the the guy was nuts, and uh, so it just talks about what happened to her over the nine months before they. Uh, found her. They found her in Salt Lake City, um, walking down the street with with him and his uh, his wife. So, anyway, really interesting. She did have some pretty terrible things happen to her. So, if if those kinds of things bother you, then um, I recommend that you don't read it. But anyway, it was interesting just to see what happened and and how she was able to come through it. She was able to come through it and basically go on to be a mostly normal person. So. Uh, she she went on a Mormon mission. Uh, she met her now husband there. They seem to be pretty normal. She's an anchor or guest anchor or something for the local news station now. And uh, so anyway, so I thought it was interesting. And that's my story by Elizabeth Smart. I don't have any other great picks. I've just been busy doing other things. The conference I was at was Podcast Movement, and it was a terrific conference. So if you're looking at doing some content stuff, 
And this time there was a lot of focus on how to convert and make money with your podcast. So, you know, if you're interested in any of that, then it was definitely a good, good way to go. So anyway, those are my picks. And yeah, we're still doing the, the book club book. We're going to be talking to Martin Fowler about refactoring Ruby edition. So if you haven't read it yet, go get it. We're going to be talking to him in September or October. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, so that's it. Go read books. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thank you. A special thanks to HoneyBadger.io for sponsoring Ruby Rogues. They do exception monitoring, uptime, and performance metrics and are an active part of the Ruby community. Where can you learn from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself? You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. Space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience. Don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlay.